Well, welcome to Foothills Church on Easter Sunday, uh, where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And I am so just thankful to welcome you. My name is Roger, and I am the lead pastor here at Foothills Church. And we are going to be considering this morning just the living, how we will live with a supernatural hope because of Jesus, because of what he's done. So we'll be celebrating that. We'll be looking at that from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1 through 25. But before we jump in there, I just wanted to share with you some really fun things. You know, you know, if you've been watching and following our church services, that we've been, been kind of struggling with some of our technical things, getting everything all worked out. And uh, we have just really been working on that. But it's been so helpful because we, uh, we've had so many people texting us, commenting in the chats, giving us some advice and some encouragement. And I just wanted to share with you a few of the things that I've seen that, that have just been very encouraging that people have sent me. One is a ministry idea. And we are seriously thinking about starting like a whole volunteer thing and uh, giving you opportunities to participate in baptisms. So um, this is the coronavirus baptism. When your church is closed due to the coronavirus, but you've got people who need to be baptized. And if we have any volunteers to drive that car and help baptize people, um, just like get your connect card and send us something. Um, in addition to that, there, there was another family that just while they were watching the Sunday morning service, their, their, their son just kind of drew a picture of the worship band. So, hey, worship band, take a look at that. Um, take a look at that. And uh, tell me, does that look like you? Do you recognize yourself? Can you tell which one is you? I think I see Jeff. It's like a little bald head right there. So, um, yeah, so we got that. There are many who have just kind of shared some pictures of them worshiping in their living room with us. So here is, here's the can of vinos. And I can see there that, um, that we're still in our pajamas. And I just want to let you know, when we fire up church again, you are welcome to come to church in your pajamas. Uh, here we have a, just a wonderful living room. Oh, look at that. I'm on TV. I thought I was on the internet. But um, that's the airs. Just loving that. And then we have also the Montefus. And uh, they're, they're sitting in their living room around a computer. How very cool. Now, the other thing that I, I do want to just communicate is that we have the most amazing animals in this church. In fact, we have a dog that talks. I didn't know if you guys knew that. I didn't know that. But um, he actually was communicating with his owners and wanted to send a message to me. And so here we have Walter. And Walter, um, he refuses to tithe since he is not allowed at regular services. So, hey, Walter, I just want you to know you are welcome to, uh, to join us. Just make sure you bring everything you got there with you. Um, we have some folks that have just in our, on our Good Friday service um, just celebrated communion. And uh, this, this was just really cool to be able to see that. And, and just the fact that we can celebrate um, the death of Jesus, remembering that he rose from the dead and that he's coming back. And that even though we're apart, we can remember this together. That's very just exciting and encouraging to see that. It makes, makes me feel like we're together. And then my, my final one, this, I really like this one. Uh, somebody sent this to me this week. And it just says that the church may be empty on Sunday, but praise God, so is the tomb. Absolutely. I am so excited about that. And there is an empty tomb, and that's why we're here. That's what makes this so exciting. And so if you have your Bibles, open them up now to um, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1 through 25. We're going to kind of go through this chapter, and we're going to look at the Apostle Peter and what he communicates about the resurrection, about living with supernatural hope. 
And so we're going to be checking this out. Now, um, one of the things that um, I think about with the Apostle Peter, I mean, I love reading the Bible and just thinking about the way that the things in the Bible impacted people. Sometimes we read the Bible and we can feel like it's a movie or, or we kind of disconnect because we've read it so much. We've, we've seen it so much. We've heard it so much that we kind of disconnect. And I love reading stories and thinking about the fact these are real people. These events really happened. They impacted them. And I just think about how it would touch me to be able to actually see it, to know them. And, and to see the way they have communicated things. And I was just thinking about the death and resurrection of Jesus. That Passion Week has got to be one of Peter's worst times, especially um, on Friday, starting on the evening of Good Friday when Jesus was arrested, and all the way through um, to, to before Peter sees Jesus, like all the way actually through even the resurrection, because Peter didn't know that immediately. He found out after it happened. And the thing that I was thinking about is that this must have been such a terrible day for Peter. Man, he, his, his hopes and dreams were dashed. Uh, he was so excited coming into uh, Jerusalem with Jesus on Palm Sunday and just feeling like, okay, this is our day. Jesus has taken over and we are his people. And you think about his um, just how bold and confident that he was during the Last Supper when Jesus is talking and just saying, hey, people are going to desert me. And Peter is just saying, I will never desert you. And Peter strapping on that sword and going into the Garden of Gethsemane. And as he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and there's this massive amount of people coming to arrest Jesus, and Peter um, is willing to rip out his sword and he's going to defend Jesus. And, and after he cuts off the high priest's servant's ears, ear, Jesus puts that ear back on, tells Peter to put away his sword, and everything that Peter was thinking about crumbled. And Peter is just devastated. He's discouraged. And one of the things that I think about is that Peter now is looking back, and when he writes the book of 1 Peter, it's probably 50 years later. And, and as Peter writes that, he looks back and he thinks about how he was impacted by the resurrection of Christ, how his worst day, the things that were just devastating to him, his worst day, everything turned around because Jesus rose from the dead, transformed Peter's life. He was a different man because of that. And here, 50 years later, he's writing to believers who are struggling People who, they weren't there with Jesus in his ministry. They weren't there. They never saw him. They weren't with him, but they had put their faith, their confidence, their trust in Jesus, and they were struggling. And Peter writes to them. They're facing persecution. They're facing all kinds of serious difficulties, fears, struggles. And Peter points them to hope in Christ. He points them to Jesus, their living hope. And Peter explains how the resurrection not only changes our future, the resurrection changes today. When, when Peter met Jesus, he left everything to follow Jesus. Jesus called him, he drops what he's doing, and he follows Jesus. He, he was a disciple that was powerfully transformed you know, I think about the, the great things that happened in Peter's life, just his confession of Christ. He would always do great things, and then he would, he would blow it afterwards. 
He confessed Christ and then immediately started rebuking Jesus. I think about the transfiguration when Peter is among the few disciples who sees uh, Jesus transfigured and, and he's just so bumbling. He doesn't even know what to do. And he just says, you want me to build you, want me to build you a, a tabernacle? And the Bible tells us that he said that because he just didn't know what to say. Peter went from being a man afraid of persecution to a man rejoicing that he was worthy to be persecuted. Uh, you remember when, when Peter, Jesus is talking to Peter and he, he tells Peter, hey, John's going to, John's gonna, you know, he may be here for a long time and just that conversation. And Peter's like, hey, well, wait a second. And, and Jesus tells Peter, he says, um, people are going to take you where you don't want to go and they're going to stretch you out. And we know that, that Peter ends up, um, according to church history, being, being um, crucified upside down. And when Peter hears about his fate, he's afraid and he's like, hey, wait, wait a second. What about John? What's going to happen to him? Um, after his bold um, statement of following Christ, we see him deny Jesus three times. He swears that he doesn't know Jesus. And Jesus looks at him after he's denied him. And Peter's crushed. He runs off in shame. And we see that man completely transformed because of the resurrection of Jesus. And one of the things that we see is that Peter takes his hope, the way he saw Jesus change his life, and he passes that on to believers many years later. As we think about just this Passion Week, Jesus was in complete control throughout his entire ministry, but also during the Passion Week. And on Palm Sunday, it was such a wonderful day. Everybody is glorifying Jesus for who he is. And it was a wonderful day, but everybody actually missed what was going on. The crowds, they thought this is the wonderful day that Jesus is going to take over. The disciples thought this was their day. The Pharisees were so discouraged because they were going to lose. They wanted Jesus dead and they couldn't do it. On Good Friday, everything turned around. And Jesus, he died. He paid a sacrifice for the sins of mankind but everything was reversed on a human level. The crowds, instead of chanting praises to Jesus, were chanting, crucify him. The Pharisees got what they finally wanted, Jesus killed. The disciples were scattered, discouraged, and bewildered. But then Sunday came, and Jesus rose from the dead, and everything was made right. He had victory over Satan. It was proof that his sacrifice was acceptable and effective. The resurrection of Jesus, it changes everything. And it allows us to live every day with supernatural hope. So as we look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1 through 25, we're going to go through and we're actually going to see um, three reasons. Peter lists three reasons that we should have a living hope. And so we're going to look out at how he describes that, how he communicates it to his readers. We're going to see that in verse 1 through 5, these three reasons. And then in chapter 6 through, uh, I'm sorry, verse 6 through verse 25, we're going to see three responses that we have. We're going to see that we are going to respond with our heart, we respond with our mind, and we respond in our behavior. And all those things, they, they touch life, and it's because of the most important thing, the most important event that happens, the resurrection 
of Jesus. So let's just start for a second as we get going. What is a living hope? And we'll come to that word in our passage, but what is a living hope? Our salvation and our future hope is based on the resurrection of Jesus. And so when the Bible here talks about a living hope, it's a hope that is emphasizing the fact that it is real. It is a real hope. It's not deceptive. It's not based on something empty. It's not something that we wish was true. It's something we know is true. Biblical hope is not a wish. It is an expectation. It's something that we are looking forward to. It's something that motivates us. It is what we place our confidence in. And the living hope is actually Jesus himself. And so let's consider three reasons that we should have a living hope. So here's the first. We'll see it in verse 1 and 2. And, and I'll just tell you what it is. It is because God chose us. When we think about the fact that God chose us, look what Peter says here. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. What an amazing greeting. Did you notice that the Trinity is in those verses? When Peter talks about our living hope and the fact that God chooses us, every member of the Trinity is involved. God the Father, it's, it's his foreknowledge. It's the sanctification, the Holy Spirit coming into our life and helping us be holy. It is our obedience, which is an offering to Jesus Christ. And for sprinkling with his blood, he's the one that accomplished this for us. Now, when you think about why that is so encouraging, is God chose us. Ephesians 1 tells us that God chooses us for salvation before the foundation of the world. And here's why that's so amazing. Because God looks into the future, he sees us, he chooses us for salvation, but we know that he had foreknowledge. Foreknowledge means that he looked into the future, he knew who we were individually. There are many people who misunderstand this whole idea of foreknowledge, and they think that God looked into the future and saw people that would have reached toward him. That he saw people who were good enough to be saved. And one of the things that the Bible tells us is that that's not true. Romans 3, 10 through 12 tells us there's none righteous, not one. There's none who seeks for God, not even one. Let me tell you why God choosing you is so encouraging and such a foundation for hope. Here's the reason. God knew everything about you before you ever did it. Anything you've ever done wrong, uh, what, what still remains in your future, God knew it all. And he chose you anyway. There's no way that you can disappoint Jesus. There's no way that, that, that God's going to say, okay, I'm getting rid of you. I'm tossing you because he knew everything about you before he chose you. Man, that gives us a living hope. It is what makes us secure. It's why we know that we'll never be rejected. 
Our personal failures will never be a reason that Jesus sets us to the side. We are going to experience his unconditional love. When you think about for Peter, um, looking back, Jesus told Peter that he would fail before he denied Jesus. uh, Jesus describes that to him. And I'm sure that for, for Peter, as he thought about that years later and looked back at the way Jesus said, Peter, you're going to fail me. Peter, Satan wants to go after you, and I'm praying for you. And he tells him before he fails, after you've gone through that, come back, return to me. And then Jesus, after he rises from the dead, he goes and he finds Peter, and he calls him, and he says, feed my lambs. And he asks Peter, do you love me? And Peter knows that Jesus knows and can see into his heart. And I'm sure looking back, that gave Peter such confidence. Jesus knew everything about him. And I want you to know something. Jesus knows everything about you. And Jesus loves you. And he died for you. And he provided a way of salvation. We have a living hope. Because our hope is not based on us. It's not based on our performance. Let's look at the second thing. Here's what we see. Is that the second thing is this. Our salvation, for those of us who are believers, we understand that salvation is based on the person of Jesus Christ. Look at this verse. This is, this is the key. This is where Peter, in his whole chapter and in his whole book, is going to focus attention on the resurrection of Jesus. It says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Now, we are born again. We are saved to a living hope. And here's how, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We're born to this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. He did it. We are not working for God's approval. We're not working to get it. We're not working to maintain it. Instead, as believers, Peter's going to talk about how this impacts our life, how we respond. We work out God's approval. We work out our salvation, but we are not working for our salvation. Man, what an incredible blessing. What a hope that is. Now, here's another thing if you look at verse 4. Amazing. We see that another reason for our hope is because God himself is guarding our future. And he is guarding our future starting right now. If you think about this, if your future is secure, that means today is secure. Because without today, you have no future. Um, so, So when God is guarding your future, he is guarding you now. Again, salvation is based on what God does. Look what it says here, that that we... Have been, we have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. What, to what end? Verse 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable. It is undefiled. It is unfading. And it is kept in heaven for you. You have an inheritance. It is in heaven. You are going to have it if you know Jesus, if you are his child. And let's look at who's keeping this. Are you keeping it? Am I keeping it? Who's keeping it? Look at verse 5. Who by God's power 
are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Man, that, that salvation, our future, our eternity, that is what matters most. That is the thing that we need the most. And it's just amazing because it can't be lost. It can't be stolen. It is guaranteed. You know, if your hope is based on things in this life, think about this. If, if your hope is based on things in this life, then nothing is secure. A lot of people, like as, as this coronavirus has struck, as the stock market has gone down, as people's health is at risk, man, it's shaken people to the core. People are worried about the future, the country, what's going to happen? What happens if this disease moves through everybody? There are businesses that have closed. There are people that are struggling that don't know how they're going to pay their rent. There are all kinds of disasters that have taken place. And if your hope is in what you can provide, if it's in your health, nobody can guarantee that. I've read some stories about young, strong people facing the coronavirus going into dire straits. People who never would have been expected to have struggled. If your hope's based on your health or, or anything that you can provide, you're in trouble. If it's based on your wealth, Man, people have just seen wealth disappear, and they're hoping it'll come back, but it hasn't come back yet. See, that kind of hope, um, the, the kind of hope that maybe all everything will come back and be okay, that's a wish hope. That's not a guarantee hope. Um, what about the health of your family? You know, I was thinking about um, in my life, there's nothing that I wouldn't sacrifice for my kids, for my family, for Michelle. Like, if I had a choice of losing everything I own, I would give it all up in a minute just to have Michelle by my side living life with me. Just to have my kids, if we could all be in a car and that was all we had, I would happily give up everything to just be with my family. Because they're what matters more than all these things. But here's what we find out, is that actually you're not even in control of your family, your family's life, your family's well-being. You cannot hold those things in your hand. God holds those things in your hand. You can lose family members. You can lose your wealth. You can lose your health. But your eternity is in God's hand, and he's holding it. And one of the things that we see here is, I want to give you just an example. There was a missionary, and this was many years ago. And this missionary, he died at the age of 28 years old. You've heard of him, I'm sure. His name's Jim Elliott. And he was a man from Portland. He had gone away to Bible college. He had a degree in Greek from Wheaton College. And he went to Ecuador. He wanted to share the gospel with some unreached natives. And so he had been working with some tribes. And, and there was a, a very violent tribe that was there that was unreached. And, and he and his missions team, they wanted to go minister to that tribe. And, and as they made efforts, they did all these things. They, were, they, they actually picked some, one, of, one of the natives up and took him on a plane flight, and, and they were giving them good things and gifts, and, and they couldn't speak their language, but they were trying to communicate to them, hey, we're friendly. Uh, we want a relationship with you. We want to help you. And he was willing to, to sacrifice to share the gospel with them. And one day when they were going to make contact, that tribe attacked him. They killed him. And they killed everybody with him. 
So he had been there working for four years when his life was ended. And um, they, the, um, they, they've, made, they've written books about his life. They've made a movie about his life. And, and from what I understand, they had guns. They could have defended themselves. And it seems that they chose not to. Here's something that he wrote, and, and there, there's a copy of, I put it on the screen, there, there's a copy of his, his, uh, his journal. And in this journal, this is what he wrote. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. See, for us as believers, when we try to hold on to things in this life, we're in trouble. And actually, that's one of the great blessings of trials, of struggles, of diff difficulties, because it brings to the surface, if we get shaken, what shakes us? And when we get shaken, we learn about ourselves. We are reminded that our hope, our confidence, our trust is in Jesus. Think about Job. He lost everything. And that showed his character in his heart because he says, though God slay me, yet will I praise him. He says when he loses everything, um, shall we receive good from the hand of God and not evil? And then he worships God. As believers, these are wonderful opportunities as we struggle, as we go through difficulties. And, and the truth is, while we're struggling, man, there are such, such much greater struggles than what we're going through. This, this is nothing compared to the way some people struggle. And that's not to say that this won't be devastating for some. So those are our three reasons, our three reasons that we um, have a living hope are because God is the one who's chosen us, because our salvation is based on Jesus, not ourselves, and because God himself guards and holds our future. Let's look at three responses, and these responses are going to involve our heart, our head, and our behavior. Let's look at verse 6. One of the things that we're going to see is the first is that we love Jesus more than anything else. Now think about Peter. He's writing this. He's reminding these, um, these folks that he's writing to, he is reminding them that they love Jesus more than anything in this life. Look at this. In this, you rejoice. So we find out here, it says, though for a little while, a reminder that whatever we face in this life is temporary, if necessary, these struggles, these trials are necessary. They're good for us. If necessary, you have been grieved. The, their heart's sore. They're, they're struggling by various trials. That's every kind of difficulty, physical health, um, persecution, all, all kinds of things. That covers everything. And here's why. So that the tested genuineness of your faith and your faith in Jesus which is more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus. You know what Peter's telling these believers? You love Jesus so much that as you go through suffering, you want to do it in a way that honors him because you love him. And at some point, Jesus is going to show up. And when he shows up, it's going to result in praise, glory, and honor. Jesus is going to honor. He's going to, 
He is going to pour out his approval on those who, who live faithfully. And, and it's going to result in that praise, that glory, that honor um, for Jesus and also the approval like the Apostle Paul. He said he looked forward to Jesus saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Man, we love Jesus. Look at verse 8. Though you have not seen him. Now this is 50 years, probably written about 50 years after Jesus um, left the earth. And it just says, though you have not seen him, you love him. How is it that you love somebody you've never seen? These people, they haven't seen Jesus, but they love him. You know, you and I, we haven't seen Jesus. We weren't with him, but we love Jesus. Though you don't see him now, see, Peter, he remembered Jesus, and he remembered that relationship, and yet he didn't see him now. And he says, you don't, believe, you don't see him now, but you believe in him, and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible, filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You know, our passion and our love, Jesus is everything. We haven't seen him. Uh, we don't see him now, but he is involved intimately in our lives. We read God's word and he speaks to us. We pray. Jesus answers our prayer. We know the truth. And Jesus, though he's, though he's not physically present, is spiritually present with us. The Bible tells us that he says he will never leave us or forsake us. This is so valuable. Let's consider the second thing. We set our minds on Jesus. So Jesus has our heart, but he has our mind. And this is one of the ways that we get through struggles. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. It says, therefore, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus. We set our hope fully on what we know to be true of Jesus. We are eagerly looking forward for him. We've prepared our minds. Uh, we are sober-minded. We approach life seriously. We look at these things. We see them for what they are, but we discipline ourselves to think right thoughts. So Jesus has our heart. Jesus has our mind. We are prepared for action. And that's the next thing that you see. This, this hope in Jesus, this living hope, it transforms our heart, it transforms our mind, but it actually makes its way into our behavior. Look at verse 14. We're going to see that uh, we also, um, <clears throat> verse 14, we'll see here, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. We've been transformed. But as he who called you is holy... Be holy in all of your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. When we think about this hope and the salvation that was purchased for us by Jesus and our confidence, we think about who he is, this holy God. And our response is to turn away from sin and to live a holy life. We obey. Look at verse 17. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear through the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed 
for the, from the feudal, feudal ways inherited from your far, forefathers, not with perishable things such as gold, silver, but with the precious blood of Christ. You know, we live our lives as believers with a reverence for Jesus. We know that he loves us, that he sacrificed himself, that he died for us. And we, we think about the sinners in Jesus' life as he traveled. The sinners didn't run from Jesus, they ran to Jesus. He is a merciful, faithful high priest. And Jesus loves us and he welcomes us. But we also see Jesus as the holy God that he is. And we live our lives with reverence, and not, not disregard. We think about the fact that God himself took on humanity and died on a cross. He spilled his blood for us. There are so many people that as they approach life, they're careless as they use Jesus' name. They're careless about the way that they live their life. And they don't live with a sense of reverence and awe for Jesus' holiness. But that's actually one of the things we have this living hope, but this living hope is based on who Jesus really is. And that means he's coming back and he is a holy God. I'm reminded of the Apostle John. Jesus gives him this huge revelation and he just explains what's going to happen in the future. And, and he's caught up and, and John sees Jesus. And... Um, the response of John after all the things that he sees at the end of the book, man, he remembers Jesus. He loves Jesus. After he sees this, all the scary stuff happen, his response is to say, come, Lord Jesus, come. I mean, he is wholeheartedly eager to see Jesus. But what it tells us in the beginning, when John sees Jesus, Revelation chapter 1, verse 17, he says this, he says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Jesus' holiness um, caused John to fall down like he was dead. And then it says this, But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. And we conduct our lives with a reverence for Jesus. As we consider these things, one of the things that just stands out to me is that, that the Apostle Peter, he was transformed by his personal relationship with Christ and the resurrection of Jesus, and he continued to pass that on. For you and I, as we live life, as we focus on the things that we're focusing on, it is critical that we have a relationship with Jesus. And so if you're a believer, this is an encouragement to you. This is a reminder of your future hope. It just stabilizes any concerns that you may have. But if you don't know Jesus, this is something to take very seriously because there is a day Jesus will return. And without being clothed in his righteousness, we're going to be in trouble. And that's what Easter is about. The resurrection of Jesus is great hope. But it's a reminder, too, that he is coming back. And so, now let me pray for us that we would take this to heart, that we would live in light of it, that we would have a living, supernatural hope. Let me pray. Lord, thank you so much for your kindness. Thank you for the way that 
you love us. Lord, thank you that our standing before you is not based on our performance. It is based on you, your character and your nature. And Lord, I just ask that if there is anybody watching anywhere in the country, any services, Lord, that people would, that you would open up their heart, that they would put their faith in you, that they would trust you, that they would receive that life that is so stable with a future laid up in heaven that no matter what happens on this earth, they can face it with confidence and with unshakable hope. Lord, for those of us who are your children, I ask that you would help us not to get distracted, that we wouldn't start focusing on all the other things that are happening, but that we would focus our attention on you. So Lord, we ask that you would be with us this day in your name. Amen.